0: Welcome to the Keeper Cut podcast. We're doing a special midweek edition this week. There's been so much trade action already and hopefully more to come. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about it. And so this is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And we're going to go through some of the trades that have already happened since about the last week or so. And just have a quick chat about whose keeper value has changed, right? I think we're going to spend a little less time on immediate value just because that's who we are. We're going to look a little bit about are there guys you should pick up? Are there guys you could be thinking about keeping long-term? Are there guys who's, whose value has changed as we look towards 2022 and beyond? Pete, how are you feeling about the trade deadline so far?
1: The recent news of the Lozardo trade definitely picked things up a little bit. We're hearing all these big names and all these rumors, but nothing, nothing really all that substantial. I guess unless you're an Astros fan, really came to fruition, but definitely a top- is he still considered a prospect? I mean, a top young player in Jesus Lazardo for one of the biggest rentals in the market, Starling Marte. That things have picked up. I'm excited.
0: That's a, that's a fun one, and we will get to that a little bit later to talk a little bit more about what that trade means. But first, going back a few days, about a week or so, there were some smaller trades that we're not going to go into a bunch of detail on. I think you know the Andrew Chafin trade was interesting for Oakland. The New York Yankees trading away a couple pieces for Clay Holmes. Interesting, but again, not a lot of fantasy value to discuss there. The first sort of big trade that happened this week was Pittsburgh trading away their all-star second baseman, Adam Frazier, to, of course, San Diego, who picks up every interesting second baseman who's on the market, it seems. And San Diego giving up three prospects in that deal. The the big name in that is Chukapita, Marcano, uh, Michelle Miliano, and Jack Zawinski are the other two. but. Frazier moving is sort of the big story here. And I think we should probably should start with him and what he means. I and mean, honestly, not just for him, but that is a crowded lineup in San Diego that he's going to impact.
1: Yeah, it really feels, Chad, like this trade just hurt a lot of people's fantasy value and helped nobody's value. Frazier's Stack data is what it is. I, everybody's aware of it by now. It's not really that impressive. It looks like it's just like kind of a career season for this guy. However, you know, in the short term, like he said, he is an all star, and last night, and he batted lead off and got two hits. And it looks like today, you know, that game doesn't start for another hour and a half. But they released their lineup. He's batting lead off again, so all of a sudden, if he's leading off for that lineup, I think Frazier is seeing a short term boost in his value, but definitely hurts, you know, Hosmer potentially the Will Myers rosters out there, Jerks and Profar, Haseon Kim. I have him in our Aught new league. You know, I don't, I don't know what how they're going to sort that out. But so far, Frazier is in the driver's seat.
0: Yeah, I mean I think Frazier's value has certainly increased if if he holds that role. I think the the challenge with Frazier is I don't know about you, but I don't I don't believe in his his stat line this year. He he sort of looks like the same guy he's always been just with a really really high BABIP and I'm not willing to bet on that continuing. He's got an awfully low home run per fly ball rate. He, I don't know. I'm I'm not real excited about him. Maybe that's the auto the new player in me talking where, you know, RBIs and and in points leagues runs don't really matter as much. And I, I'm, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm a little less excited than I should be. I think in a, in a more traditional five by five, if he can keep getting on base in front of the guys who are hitting behind him, uh, that's a pretty great place to be in that San Diego lineup. And, and he's going to get plenty of plate appearances my big concern is what happens when he goes cold, because I think he will. I think though you brought up the, the major point here is what does this mean for the value of a guy? I, I think Myers and I don't know, I think Myers and Hosmer are, are sort of the the guys who are going to lose out here, but you know, Frazier's naturally a second baseman. So does Cronenworth? lose some time or does Cronenworth play some in the outfield? I would think they would put Frazier in the outfield ahead of Cronenworth, but I'm not sure what to what to expect. Trent Grisham is the one who's on the bench today. I can't imagine that's a pattern that continues though.
1: Yeah, well Grisham is taking a little bit of a bump anyway because he's not leading off. But I I think I think the move is Cronenworth to first base most nights. I think that's where he's going to transition to and you're going to plug in Frazier at second base. And I agree with what you said about, you know, he's not he's not really a, a, a stat filler and it definitely feels like this is just a career year. But he, the expected batting average backs up what he's been doing. And, and that's because even though the average exit velocity is low, he does hit a lot of line drives. So if he knows who he is and he's comfortable with it and he's just seeing the ball well this year and he's just your your you know 300 hitter who can now score a lot of runs and not do much else, I'm fine with that. It, I'm just not going to be like buying because he's making this transition to San Diego because I, I, I think long-term, there's not a lot of value here outside of, you know, just that empty average.
0: Yeah. Now, Frazier, last night he played in left field. They benched Myers. Looking at their lineup today, it's Grisham's out, but he may just be getting a day off because they're facing a tough lefty, you know, day game after night game against a tough left handed pitcher. And so maybe that's all that's going on there because Jureks and Profar is starting in center field. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what the Padres do. In the next few days, and then over the offseason, because you have to figure they're going to try to find a way to clear either Hosmer or Myers, I, I would yes. think. And it sounds like they're already shopping Hosmer. Good I luck. have no idea how they move that contract. but Especially
1: with the other, the other two lefty first basemen that are available, right? Yeah. I mean, Rizzo and Santana, why, why would anybody go out and try to get Eric Hosmer unless he's attached to a a solid prospect, in which case, right. okay.
0: Which may be what happens, which may be what happens here. But I think long term, I don't think this is a slight boost to Fraser's value long term, but i still I wasn't likely to keep him in many places anyways, and so that doesn't really change things. And honestly, I I don't know. Like this doesn't this doesn't really change things with Cronenworth for me. He's been so good. He's already locked up second base and middle infield eligibility next year. So maybe we start looking forward to 2023 and you start worrying about Cronenworth being a first baseman. Perhaps that's an issue, maybe. but I'm not worried about that yet. It's a, it's a long ways off. I do think the, the sort of the big questions here are like, does Hosmer do Hosmer and Myers basically end up in a platoon. And if they do, then that really hurts both of their values. But I don't know. We'll have to see what, what plays out. On the Pittsburgh side of this, Tukapita Marcano, shortstop prospect, he seems to be the big piece here. Are you are you looking at him at all? Is he someone you're interested in?
1: In short, no. Um, I, I read the same thing. It was a John John Heyman, I think it was, tweeted out that like that was supposedly the Pirates weren't on him earlier and and, it, and nothing came to fruition, but. You know, I'm just combing through his, his minor league numbers. This is just a very surface level analysis, but through over 1,100 plate appearances, he's got nine home runs. Now, granted, he's only 21, maybe 22 years old. Yeah, 21 years old. So I'm not trying to say that he'll never be anything, but I don't look at the deal and say like, oh, finally, Tucupita Marcano is, is out of San Diego. So now that career is going to take off. He is not somebody on my radar and not somebody I'm considering
0: rostering. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think the takeaway I came away with, having read about Marcano, is that he's his upside is Adam Frazier, right? And I, I think from that perspective, if you're the if you're the Pirates and you've given up Adam Frazier for a year and a half because he's got another year of control, and you've gotten a new version of Adam Frazier for six or seven years, great. I totally get why you do that from a fantasy perspective. We've already we've already both expressed our doubts about Frazier's fantasy value. Uh Marcano, you're talking about maybe he reaches that. We'll have to see. Uh Jack Sowinski taking a quick look at him. I mean a little bit less discussed, but he in in sixty-six games this year, 267 plate appearances, has 15 home runs and a four fifteen WOBA and double A. And that's a that's a 152 WRC plus in that league. And so He's been a very good offensive outfielder in double A now at twenty-two. He's almost twenty-three, so he's a little old for double A. You'd like to see him get challenged in triple A, but he's not on my radar either at this point. The third prospect, Michelle Miliano, is twenty-one years old and just in high A and not pitching particularly well there. A lot of strikeouts, but a lot of walks. No real fantasy meaning to him either yet.
1: Through 94 innings, he's got a whip of 1.72. So I'm <laughs> not holding that's my not breath. Good, there right? That is not That is not For an ERA, you would want that. That's right. <laughs>
0: Every once in a while it gets confusing when you look at a whip and you think it's an ERA. <laughs> so let's jump on from that trade. The next trade actually that happened at all, which is the next big-ish trade, especially in terms of the impact it had on the teams involved was the the Seattle Mariners completely infuriating their entire clubhouse by trading Kendall Graveman and Rafael Montero to Houston for Joe Smith and Abraham Toro. Now, this is such a weird one cuz you know Montero's been not good and getting rid of him is probably not a big deal, but Graveman has been such a central piece in a really strong bullpen that has anchored a surprising season for Seattle. And then they went off and sent him to a division rival who they are chasing for the wild card to get a third baseman that they don't really need, given that they've got Kyle Seager right now. What are your thoughts? Before we talk about the fantasy value, just what are your quick thoughts on this from a, from a baseball perspective?
1: So I think it, it, it's fun to look at because we, the fans, view it very black and white. You're a buyer or you're a seller. But these are organizations they have short and long-term goals and you know like we just saw with the Rays trading Rich Hill who hasn't been very good but the Rays have better odds at winning the World Series than the Mariners do and they're trading away a starting pitcher who had a 13 strikeout game for them this year so first of all from that I think it's just I don't I don't see it as a sign the Mariners are buyers or sellers and they said as much Uh, I just think it was for them the move they wanted to make at the time. Clearly, there was some kind of disconnect between the front office and trading away Graveman and blindsiding the team and basically having him run across the diamond to the team that they're facing. But I mean, again, from a baseball perspective, I don't know how realistic it is for the Mariners to think like we're in competition with the Astros. I think the Astros are winning the division. I think the Mariners know they're going to win the division. And so the Mariners are competing with teams like the Yankees, like the Athletics for that second wild card spot. Unless one of them gets hot and, and catches the rays of the Red Sox for the first wild card spot, but I, I don't, I don't think they view the Astros as their current competition. Yeah. So from a baseball perspective, I just kind of get it.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And I think from a baseball perspective, the value they got in Toro, and we'll talk a little bit about him in a moment, makes a ton of sense. I, I think the biggest issue here, uh, among other things, is supposedly the clubhouse found out via Twitter, and I, I don't know how. I mean, right. the story. Now, maybe this is because I'm in Seattle, but they had that huge comeback on Monday night, where they came back from behind. They were down seven nothing, came back and beat the Astros. Huge, huge win. Ton of excitement in the city, and the story coming out of that was every player that spoke after the game saying, "I hope they believe in us. I hope they start buying. This is the time. We're tired of the, always being the afterthought. It's time to try to win." And. The next thing that happened is that they trade away their closer for a guy who, like we said, they don't really need right now. And and so I think there's there's, I don't know if you look at it from Depoto's point of view, from the GM's point of view, I think had he gone to the clubhouse and said, guys, we have a trade we're going to make. You're not going to like it at face value, but there's a bigger picture here. We are not done. I've got another deal in the works to get you a starting pitcher because they went out and traded for a starting pitcher just a few hours later, basically. I think he could have told a different story instead of leaving them blindsided. Because if you see that on Twitter and you're the Mariners, your first thought is, well, we're selling again. And we're right in the middle of this. And we're, we're, we have a shot and they don't believe in us. Uh, and I don't think that's the message he intended to send. I think if you're DePoto, I think this was a, I think my team could win, but I don't think two months of Kendall Graveman is going to be the difference maker. And I think he's absolutely right about that. Which takes us to the piece they got in return, the major piece here, Abraham Toro, a third baseman who is, I don't know, I think he's a super interesting guy. But as I've learned over the last 24 hours, every nerd in baseball, I think it was Jeff Besson tweeted that out that every nerd front office person in baseball loves this guy. And so maybe that's maybe I'm just telling on myself by saying I'm excited by this guy, but I think he's really interesting.
1: First of all, I don't buy that this, even in the short term, necessarily makes the Mariners that much worse, assuming DePoto can replace Graveman in the bullpen because they have the worst on-base percentage in baseball, not in the American League, not just in the L. West. They have the worst on-base percentage in baseball. Abraham Toro, switch hitter, has a career 370 on base percentage through over 1,600 minor league games, encompassing five seasons. So not 1,600 games, 1,600 played appearances. Um, so that's it. That, that could, there's some potential there. And in the time he's covered for Alex Bregman, kind of thrown right into a, a pennant chase here with the Astros, once Bregman went down, those are big shoes to fill, he's held his own. Um, Still on his rookie contract and and isn't an unrestricted free agent until 2026. So I think he's in a place to stay. And if we're worried about playtime, well, he's extremely versatile. He's made starts at first base, second base, third base, shortstop and left field just this season at AAA. Between that and the switch hitting, I think I think he's going to find himself in the lineup quite often if he hits. I think he's he's an interesting target in those deeper leagues because I actually had him in a few leagues because of how thin third base has been. And because I've been without Alex Bregman in quite a few leagues he's he's covered okay so i agree with you i think he's interesting and the last full minor league season we had in 2019 514 plate appearances he had 82 runs 17 homers 80 rbi four steals batted 324 and had a 938 ops for a reliever who's over 30 that you're gonna have for two months i think that's a good pickup and it could potentially be a good pickup in the short term as well as the long term
0: yeah i think that that makes a ton of sense i'm I'm excited to see what he can do. I think it's also worth keeping in mind that Seattle will have potentially an opening at third base very soon because Kyle Seager will be a free agent. And so they're going to have to figure out what they're doing at third base. So Toro could settle in there pretty quickly if they want him to. He's, I mean, his major league numbers are not good. Like there's, there's no way around that. He's got a 281 WOBA in 309 career plate appearances. He also has a 208 BABIP. He's only striking out twenty point four percent of the time, which isn't great but is pretty solid. He's walking six point eight percent of the time, also not great but pretty solid. Those numbers are both better this year than they were previously. Seventeen point one percent strikeout rate, seven point three percent walk rate. I'm I, I really like what he brings to the table, and I think as that BABIP normalizes, just to put this all in perspective, he has a ninety nine WRC plus this year. That means he is in. Basically a completely average major league hitter on the season. And that's with a 205 BAPIP on the year. So a little bit of BAPIP correction, and all of a sudden you've got an above-average bat who you've got controlled for a nice long time, who can play multiple positions. I I I love this deal for them. And I think, you know, getting back to the Mariners bullpen, yes, they just traded away their closer, but that bullpen has been so good. And there have been so many impressive stories in that bullpen. I think the most interesting from a fantasy perspective right now is probably Paul Sewald. I think he probably steps into that closer role. I think the interesting thing about him is, from a keeper perspective is I don't see any good reason to think he couldn't be their closer next year. If he holds down the job effectively the rest of this year. Now, DePoto loves to make deals. He may be out there trying to treat you know looking for a landing spot for Craig Kimbrell. Maybe they go after him. I, I have no idea what to expect, but I'm a, uh, I'm intrigued by Seawald. I'm picking him up in a lot of my auto new leagues. I think he's a guy who in a keeper five by five, I would be grabbing for sure. I'd be prioritizing him over um, some of the guys we're going to talk about in in Cincinnati a little bit later. I'd be prioritizing him over anybody in uh, Philadelphia right now, which is sort of a mess and it's hard, hard to see what's going on. And I would prioritize him over David Bednar, who we talked about last week. Obviously we expect... Rodriguez to get traded out of Pittsburgh at some point and Bednar to step in. But I think Seawald's more interesting than those guys in terms of the likelihood that he has a job as a closer and what he can do with it.
1: Yeah, so much of the position and so much of that category in saves is, do you actually have the job? And at this point, at this second, because another trade has not gone through, like you said, never rule out Jerry Depoto making a deal. Uh, At this second, there's no question, I think that Paul Seawald is the is the closer in Seattle. So I would prioritize him over those guys as well. Those guys that have landed in Cincinnati as well as Heath Embry, as well as Amir Garrett, etc., etc. I would also agree. I would prioritize him over them.
0: Yeah, and I think just to, to put a fine point on what Sewald's so done, he has a 42.5% strikeout rate and a 9.4% walk rate. You'd like to see that walk rate come down a little bit, but if he's striking out 42.5% of guys, you can accept that walk rate. He has looked really good in that role. He has a 2.30 ERA. And before you're like, oh, well, ERA, who knows what else is going on behind that? 1.68 FIP, 2.45 XFIP, 2.17 Sierra. There's basically no measure you can look at that isn't great for him this year. Now, his history isn't as good. He's 31. You're talking about a late breakout. So we have to wait and see if that, that holds up. But everything looks awfully good right now.
1: Yeah, it just it it sounds like they had two relievers who have blossomed out of nowhere, like how we talk about. That's that's the nature of that position, and they decided to trade one for a long term asset, and they yeah. still got one who can close. Yep. And just to put this to bed, I, anybody out there that thinks is Graveman going to close over Presley? No.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think to talk about that, which yeah, we probably should have.
1: It's not. It's just. It's not happening. Look, his velocity's up. He's using his slider a lot more. He's obviously a different pitcher. He's much more effective, but he is not taking Ryan Presley's job. Yeah.
0: So another, another trade that had some fun stuff going on around the trade. Tyler Anderson was reported as having been traded from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia. Deal was done pending medicals. That pending medicals is a thing that we always say that rarely comes into play it came into play. Apparently there was an issue with the medical reports on one of the prospects going back to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh backed out. And within hours, Tyler Anderson is a Mariner now. This all even ties up with the last deal with the the Mariners feeling like they were selling. Now, if you're a Mariners player, you're like, oh, well, they went out and got a starting pitcher for us. Maybe we're not selling. Hard to know what to make of this. What do you think of Tyler Anderson?
1: Not much. I don't think there's much fantasy relevance there. In the deepest of leagues, maybe for the innings and... Maybe he gets you a couple of quality starts like he's going to a great park, but he was already pitching in a great park. And that was in the National League with an ERA ERA over four and a whip that was teetering. So I I don't have a lot of hope there. I think if you're if you're a Mariners fan or if you're a Mariners player and your team just lost Graveman but gained Anderson, you're thinking there better be more coming down the pipeline.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, he's an interesting one. I mean, since since mid-June, his last five starts, he has a three point six six FIP. Uh, mostly because he's controlling walks, only a 1.52 walk per nine. He isn't giving up a lot of home runs. And so there is something there. He's been very interesting recently. Even if you go back a little further to the beginning of June, he has a 4.07 FIP. And so from a from a baseball perspective, a Mariners perspective, like this seems like a solid pick with a little bit of upside. And the upside is not that he's going to become an ace it's it's that he can fill out the back end of that rotation really effectively and give them some length and and that's that's super valuable that's a super useful piece from a fantasy perspective though I agree there there's nothing to see here maybe you spot start him in some deep leagues but nothing nothing too exciting as far as I'm concerned so let's let's yeah, jump you see a
1: home start against the Rangers then plug him yeah,
0: in go for it so let's jump to the Cincinnati Reds and we're gonna talk two deals at once because I don't think either of them stand alone. The first one, which happened just yesterday, they acquired Justin Wilson and Luis Sessa from the Yankees for a player to be named later. Um, a lot of talk about what this means for the Yankees. It sounds like they might have just been clearing some 40-man space for a deal to come later, but yep. no no meaningful impact there from a fantasy perspective. Then the Reds went out and acquired Michael Givens from the Rockies. Now, this is interesting. It's they, Their bullpen has been... Uh, to say it's been a mess, I think, is an understatement. They've they've really struggled. They got rid of Ryze Iglesias in the offseason. It seemed like Amir Garrett was gonna be the closer. Didn't really work out. Seemed like Lucas Sims might be the closer. He was only okay and then got hurt. Heath Hembry's been pitching really well lately, but then he got into the mess that resulted in the Javi Baez sweeping Amir Garrett off the field situation a couple nights ago. So it's been a little crazy there. Now they've added three new arms to that pen in a 24-hour period. What are you doing with this Cincinnati bullpen?
1: That's such a such a good question. I mean, I, I think we should start with Michael Givens because I think of all the names in the bullpen there, especially with with Sims out, I think he's got the most closer stuff. I think he's also led a career for two teams that were horrible ballparks, horrible divisions for a pitcher, and not great defenses. Now he's going to a place that is a bad park to pitch in for a pitcher with not great defense behind him. But I still think he has the best closer stuff, so he's kind of my guess to get it. You know, you brought up Heath Embry, and I never thought I would say this, particularly as a Red Sox fan, but like Heath Embry, he has been really good, and yet just a couple of days ago he was brought in for the hold and Amir Garrett got the save. So I don't know how set in stone his role was. I don't, it, this is a team that's like kind of competing. I mean, they're, they're over 500 and, and they had an MVP candidate until he hurt his wrist. Like this was a team that could, that could make some noise. So you're right. There's a lot of moving pieces. I think Louis Sessa is another one. That's a good grab, but I would not add him thinking he's a closer. He doesn't really have closer stuff. He's not a swing and miss pitcher and he can work multiple innings. I don't think they'd want him in that role, so, I mean, <laughs> that's a really long way of saying I don't know. I just don't think it should be Amir Garrett because he's been absolutely atrocious this season. So, if I have to choose, it's Givens or it's Hembry, Hembry has worked, so maybe they ride with him and the second he loses it, I think it's Givens who's next in line.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm torn. I'm very torn on this because Amir Garrett's been so good in the past and he's looked like a closer in waiting for so long and yet his start this year like you said was just so bad oh
1: he's been awful
0: now the last month ish dating back to mid-june so since since june 17th actually let's cut that one out because june 17th was a bad day for him we're gonna look since (laughs) june 19th arbitrary endpoints here but since june 19th which is basically five weeks 12 innings pitched small numbers which always happens with with relievers. He has a 1.32 FIP over the last month and a half, a little less than a month and a half. So it is possible Garrett's turning it around. And so for me, from a keeper perspective, Garrett is the only one of these guys who might have future value. If Garrett has actually turned things around since mid-June and runs away with that job and is a lockdown reliever like we've seen from him in the past for the next two months, he becomes a keeper for me because he's the guy who could have that job next year. I don't think Henry's their closer next year. I don't think Wilson or Sessa or Givens are their closer next year. Garrett's the only one of this group who I think could be a long-term closer. I'm not sure how much I'm betting on that, but if I was in a desperate situation needing saves, I think I would go for him. I understand what you're saying with how bad he was earlier on, but I think he's been enough. I think he's improved enough and he's been good enough in the past that I would take that bet. I think he's the most, he's got the most upside. He's got the most upside. He may be risky. He may not have the job right now, but I think he's got the most upside.
1: I think Givens might actually have the most upside. I mean, I I just don't trust Garrett. I think he's been so bad. He's been so Homer prone. I mean, I, I get what you're saying with the FIP, but 12 innings pitched. I, I don't know how many of those are actual save opportunities. Givens, though, is someone who I'd like to see get the job and be given an opportunity to run with it. I think he's someone who we've looked at as a long time with good stuff who just didn't necessarily get set up for success. And that's not to give him too many excuses. But again, you look at the two places he's been and it's not it might not be with the Reds, but if he does somehow get that closer's role or maybe he he already has it, who knows? And he has an effective two months. Well, now he hits the market as a free agent who is coming off. A great job ideally saving games I think he could find himself in another closer situation with maybe better stuff than Garrett I don't know I I've I've really cooled on Garrett I drafted him just about everywhere I thought he was a steal late in drafts like like the way you're talking about him but he's just been so bad it's hard for me to invest
0: yeah, I think my challenge with Givens is like, well his stuff has been good, his results have been so bad for so long and and uh, you know, how much of that was Coors and how much of that was Baltimore and
1: he's been okay this the whip is high but especially recently he he'd been okay. I I wish he didn't get hurt. I would have liked to see him see if he got hot.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, his his ERA is 2.73, but he's still walking a ton of guys. He's still giving up a lot of home runs. The peripherals are not that pretty. I don't know. I, I'm I like Givens. I've always been a, a fan of what he's capable of. I just don't know I don't know, he just isn't he isn't doing it. <laughs> and so it's hard to know what to make of him when he's when he's been struggling. But like you said, I mean if I look at his last twelve ish innings, they've been excellent also. So who knows?
1: I think if we're getting at anything here, it's avoid the Cincinnati Reds bullpen. Yeah. I don't think yeah. there's much there.
0: No, I think that's right. And I, I think it's probably a situation to watch, and there might be a couple guys that are worth grabbing if and when they start to show something, but
1: Short term know. though, Heath short term, Heath Embry has been a solid investment. If you if you picked him up a week and a half ago or, or two weeks ago, whenever his first save was, you you've gotten quite a run here. It was actually yeah. longer ago. It was before the all star break.
0: Yeah, he's been he's been very solid and and I think The problem now with him is you got to watch and see if he's actually still getting saves because I'm not sure he will be. We'll have to find out. Yeah. So that takes us to our last trade, which is maybe the most interesting trade. The Miami Marlins trading away a rental in Starling Marte, a guy who has been one of, I think, the top 20 players in baseball by F4. So in terms of sort of overall value, that's despite having missed some time earlier this year. Gave away two months of him. They're paying his salary, and they are getting back Jesus Lizardo. Who, boy, six months ago, if I told you that Jesus Lizardo was going to get traded for a rental, you would have been like, like a rental. I don't know, a rental Mike Trout, like a like what? What kind of rental would possibly justify Lizardo? But here we are, and it's again. I, I'm having a really hard time with this because I've been a big Lizardo fan. And I'm very torn between loving him in Miami and wanting to get inside a room in the Oakland front office and find out what they think, because boy, does this send a strong signal about their concerns.
1: Yeah, he's just he's just been having such a hard time finding the strike zone. It's been such an inconsistent year for him. I mean, just if you just look at his month of July. At at AAA this year, Las Vegas. I mean, July second, seven earned runs. July eighth, no earned runs. Four and two thirds, scoreless. He only gave up three hits, and I mean, he did walk two, which isn't great. Then he gives up seven earned runs again. Then he pitches what was probably his best outing of the year, and then on July twenty fifth, it was some start in between all of those. Uh, five innings pitched, three earned runs, but only one walk. It's just been. I, I think he just needs to find it again. I think it's a great move for Miami, but. I'd be lying if I told you I didn't have some kind of concern here of like, well, how did this guy's value go from like it was between him and Mackenzie Gore for top pitching prospect in baseball It felt like one year ago. And I mean, Gore is a whole different situation. But and we got here, like you said, is it a rental Mike Trout? No, it's a it's a great star player and Starling Marte for two months. It just it doesn't seem like a type of move that Oakland would make. And it it really worries me for Lazardo, but I don't have any real reason to worry other than his struggles. I like to think that the potential is still there, and I have an eight dollar Jesus Lazardo that I painstakingly traded for in our odd new league, and I absolutely still plan on keeping him. I just what what is going on here?
0: Yeah, I I think your your read on this is very similar to mine, which is the the fact of this trade coupled with what Lazardo's been going through this year. Meaningfully negatively impacts my my long term outlook on him only because I I, I don't know I mean what does a really good rental go for uh, not a, not even a top hundred prospect usually and so that tells you sort of where Oakland views him on the other hand I think if you're Miami like I love this deal for the Marlins because if you're giving up I mean, if your choice when you're trading away a guy like Marte is either go get a random B prospect whose upside is back of the rotation and they're highly likely to reach it, but that's sort of all that they've got, or you can go out and get Lizardo and maybe, despite all the risk, he still becomes an ace or becomes a a, an elite bullpen arm. I mean, if you look at this team, I think one of the things that that's worth considering with Lizardo is they have Pablo Lopez, they have Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers. They've got Max Meyer coming, Edward Cabrera coming, Sixto Sanchez coming. Now they've got Lizardo. They can they can afford to be flexible with these guys. And not all of them are going to pan out, but they can move some of them around into different roles. So I love this deal from their perspective. But from a fantasy perspective, man, I mean, I'm not doing anything with an $8 Lizardo today. Like you've got an $8 Lizardo and auto new, I'm not cutting him today, but I'm really closely watching what he does down the stretch. And I'm not sure I want a $10 Lizardo going into 2022. I will say I had a $14 Lizardo in League One that I cut. Um, I cut him, but I cut him a little while ago. I traded for him. Boy, when did I? I traded for him right before the second OPL cut. So for the AutoNue New Prestige League, there's that snapshot date where if you're in the Auto New Prestige League, your, your team locks on a given day for a month. And I traded for him. I was thrilled to get him in the deal I got him. I figured he was going to come back and be healthy and he'd start in the bullpen, but he'd work his way back into the rotation on July 12th. So about two and a half weeks ago, I cut him. I, I needed to add players and I was getting ready for the OPL playoffs to start with that team. And in the OPL playoffs, it locked right after the all-star break and then is locked for the rest of the year. And I, Lizardo was basically a dead roster spot for me. And at $14, I said, forget it. I'll get rid of him. He's sitting out there as a free agent at $7 and no one's touched him. Yeah, I think his value has fallen pretty far. And I don't think this will help. I don't think this will help his fantasy value immediately. Let's see what happens when he gets into that Miami system. They've done a great job developing pitchers. Maybe they can turn things around with him. I, I He's a guy I would love to take a flyer on next year, but I don't think I want to be spending $10 to do it. But let's see what the next three months bring it's not the season's not over yet
1: right and i mean i find this kind of interesting <laughs> for the trade deadline i mean first of all starting marte i don't think his trade value i mean i mean his fantasy value changes at all short or long term yeah. I, I don't see much of a difference but to circle back does this make like is sandy alcantara all of a sudden a super dark horse trade candidate where like he's awesome and he's young and he's he's controlled he's he he's gotta go he's not an unrestricted free agent for another three years so the initial reaction is like no of course not why would Miami trade him well you just listed like 75 you didn't even list Eliezer Hernandez in that list who I actually really like myself he's a little bit older than Sandy Alcantara but I wonder how Miami feels about like okay we just brought in another young arm who we see potential and who appears healthy and he just made a start three days ago could we get a king's ransom like an absolute king's ransom for Sandy right now, and begin to build up our hitting. You know, uh, is there someone they could move Alcantara for to, to find a center field replacement for Starling Marte or something like that? That interests me because he's clearly their piece that is worth the most who right now. And I
0: think who they would they trade him for? Him.
1: Well, that's that's a million dollar I mean, question.
0: If you look at like outfielders, there are, there are outfielders on the market they could absolutely trade for, but I think it's less likely. Like, give you an example. I think they could go out and get Brian Reynolds from Pittsburgh, but I don't think they're going to trade Sandy Alcantara for him because I don't no think way. that's what Pittsburgh would want. I think the trade would end up being Max Meyer and pieces. If Brian Reynolds costs that much. I mean, I
1: I don't know. I, I have no idea what it would be. All I know is if Miami put out the word that Sandy Alcantara is on the trade block, that they would have 29 teams interested. So yeah, I, I, this is just pure. I have no reason to feel this way. I just look like the depth that they have organizationally at starting pitcher is ridiculous.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot. You told me before we started that Boston needed a starting pitcher. And there is a rumor already that Miami is interested in getting a new center fielder to replace Marte. Oh, Boston has a young this. center fielder and you need a starting pitcher. Would you trade Duran for Alcantara? It's
1: uh, a good question. I, th- I think so.
0: And to be clear, I think I think the yeah. deal would have to be Duran plus. Now I don't know yeah, if it probably. would be a big plus, but there'd have to be more to it than Duran, given how established and effective Alcantara has been versus how young and unproven Duran still is. But would you would you do that as a, as a centerpiece for a deal?
1: It's it's hard to deal up the middle potential leadoff you know talent like that, but there, there's questions about Will Duran last in center field and. You know, the strikeouts have have always been sort of hovering as a as a concern for him. So he's far away from being a sure thing. So if you're telling me the Red Sox could bring in a pitcher who's having an amazing season, who's controlled for the next three years at a reasonable price and would cost them a prospect who was on no one's radar two years ago, yeah, I would I would do that trade. If it costs Jaron Duran and Jeter Downs or Jaron Duran and Tristan Cassis, well, all of a sudden I'm feeling a little bit differently about it, but I to have a pitcher like that here in Boston for three more years that would give them a lot of flexibility a lot of options.
0: Yeah, I think uh I don't know if I, if I were Boston I think I would do that. I think if it took boy if it took Downs or Cassis with Duran it would give me pause but I'm I would still at least consider it. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, we're
1: we're in I, first place. I mean, the Red Sox yeah, put, like the it's best the record in the American League,
0: right? Well, maybe Boston should be calling Miami because it looks like there might be a fit. Although I still don't, th- I don't think Miami is going to trade on Katara. I think they they might trade Pablo Lopez. Sure. And I also think that they they may, if they want to get controllable help in the outfield, they may be better off giving up uh, some younger pitching, but who knows. Yeah. But with that, we are not going to do an auto question of the day today because we're trying to do another one of these episodes, hopefully before the end of the week, depending on what other trades are out there. So we're going to try and get this out quickly. So we'll be we'll, we'll have an new question of the day next week when we're when we're back, but but not today. So with that, thanks for listening. Uh, remember to subscribe, leave ratings and reviews, follow us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. You can follow me at Chad Young. Follow Pete at Pete B Baseball. Hopefully, we're gonna get this out to you today, Wednesday evening, so you can listen up while you're waiting to see what trades come next, and we'll we'll react to those as well. With that, have a good night, and we'll talk to you soon.